Welcome to the first episode of Season 2 of the podcast, Variologies. My name is Dan Calcano. I'm the host of this podcast. And you might recall that uh, in the first season, we had two hosts, myself and my nephew, Noah. Well, Noah has gone through a lot of life changes since we recorded our last episode of Season 1. and He's gotten married and moved away. And uh, so uh, even though he will not be the co-host this season, uh, you can probably expect him to be on the show at some point uh, during this season. Uh, Basically, I will try to uh, have guests on each week uh, for discussions and and for interviews. Uh, And and some weeks might just be me. But uh, regardless, I had the desire to continue this podcast And if you are curious about the name, variologies, it's a made-up word consisting of two parts, very, referring to various, and ologies, referring to different areas of study. You can hear the part of the word ology in words like theology. So any word that ends with ology means the study of something, whatever the first part of the word is. So theology is the study of God, for example. In any event, Variologies is a podcast in which I get to explore topics that are of interest to me, topics within theology and philosophy in particular. Uh, It's always a joy to find other people who have similar interests, and uh, as a pastor at a small church in Font Hill, Ontario, Glad Tidings Church of God, uh, we've recently welcomed a few young guys who have uh, similar interests to me, and uh, we've started a, uh, a small group, a paideia group, we call it, uh, an opportunity to give presentations and to have discussions about these sorts of topics. And so we thought, hey, what, this is a perfect opportunity to continue the Variologies podcast. It's very similar in tone and, and in style to these kinds of discussions that we have. And uh, so why not put it out there for people to listen to? And so this is our first of this second season of Variologies, uh, all about the question, what is God? We are attempting to answer the question, what is God? Not who is God, but what is God? What are we even talking about when we talk about God? So I hope you'll find the discussion interesting and engaging, and I do encourage you to continue the discussion on social media. You can find me on Twitter, at Dan Calcano. I'm also on Facebook, and you can visit my website, MessianicNiagara.com, for more information about me and the Bible teaching that I offer. And watch me on YouTube.com slash MessianicNiagara. In fact, you can watch the first season of Variologies there as well. And if you haven't subscribed to this podcast on whatever platform that you are listening to this on, please do so so that you can be notified when we upload a new episode. Okay, with all that out of the way, we're going to go ahead and listen in on this week's discussion. All right, here's the main part of the uh, podcast, our discussion time. And uh, so just for the sake of uh, continuity here, uh, my name is Dan Calcano. I've been a pastor for eight years at, at Glad Tidings Church of God in Font Hill. And uh, we wanted to talk about our interests, uh, what we're interested in, in terms of the various uh, topics that we're interested in. My go-to phrase is, uh, I'm interested in theology and philosophy and Batman. Those are my three <laughs> interests. So if you want to know more about that, you can listen to the last season of the podcast because we talked about a lot of uh, my interests. Uh, but we also like have uh, three other guys here with us that I've recently 
uh, met and befriended. And so uh, why don't we go around the room? Chris, uh, introduce yourself and, and uh, what you're interested in. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm a university student. Actually, I just graduated from university, but I'm mainly interested in pre-Socratic philosophy, Parmenides, Heraclitus, uh, Thales, and Anaximander, but also post-Socratic uh, uh, philosophers, Socrates, and also Plato as well. Um, and also interested in phenomenologists Heidegger, um, Merleau-Ponty. Um, I'm trying. My goal is to uh, create psychological flourishing or psychological well-being through uh, kind of bracketing experiences that make us feel happy, make us feel ple- uh, pleasurable, um, things like that. So my name is John. I am finishing an undergraduate degree in neuroscience, where I study the. Uh, molecular basis of synaptic plasticity or how the brain forms and strengthens connections and I'll be doing a master's thesis in something like probably the molecular uh, basis of neural regulation. Yeah my name is Matthew and I study religion and theology at the University of Nottingham And my main focus right now is enhancing theological literacy among um, churchgoers and the wider community. And so we at at Glad Tidings have been blessed to have these guys become a part of our church. And uh, we have our Sunday night uh, paideia group with presentations and all kinds of different uh, discussions on different topics. And it very much reminded me of the podcast uh, Noah and I started a couple of years ago, which the pandemic sort of put a stop to. Um, but we're going to have a great discussion. We're going to try to keep it relatively short. We'll see how it goes about the, I guess, the nature of God. What is God? And uh, I don't think there's any great way, as Noah and I found in our in our uh, for, in the first season. There's no great way to start these kind of kinds of discussions. You just kind of have to just somebody has to start talking about the topic, and then because we're all interested in it, we're all going to you know jump in with our thoughts. So we're talking about what is God, and you know, as a pastor and as a person who's been studying the Bible for, for, you know, I guess over 15 years, uh, I've thought a lot about what is God. And I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church and, and, and a Christian upbringing. And so uh, I'm, I'm guessing many people who were, who were raised as Christians don't even think about what God is. They just, it's just a part of life. Have, there is a God that we answer to, that we pray to, that we, uh, that is above us in, in that we mean that above us, both in terms of, uh, I think some people think in terms physically, but also in terms of like, he's greater than us in every way. Where do you guys come from? Were, were you raised in Christian, uh, had a Christian upbringing at all? And was belief in God sort of just assumed? Or did you have a different experience? Yeah, so I just want to point out something interesting that uh, you're saying there, Dan. You, you said that, you know, for a lot of people, nobody really asks mm who or what God is. Um, and, and for most, you know, that might sound like a problem. But if we think about it, do we really sit down and ask who our mom is or who our dad is? Or we simply just live life within a, a relationship with your mom or your dad or your siblings and other people, right? So is it necessarily a problem for Christians if they can't conceptualize God, just like they can't conceptualize who their mom is or who their father is? I think the very fact that, to your point, that people are quite comfortable with the notion of God as just a part of their lives is part of the reason why they don't, people don't question it. 
at mm-hmm. all because yeah, it is it works for them like it's just a part of life but how what about you guys I grew up in a kind of unquestioning way. Mm. Uh, If I was to reflect on it now, I came from a Catholic background. The memories that I have of church were me, communion is one, um, and also sitting in church uh, in the stalls, getting in touch with this stillness Mm. of hearing the priest's voice of sitting in this quiet ease. Only reflecting now on that experience, do I see it like that? Mm-hmm. I never, yeah, I was just very unquestioning is kind of how right. I see it, yeah. Unquestioning at the time, but you, when you look back at it now, that's kind of what God was. That's what I'm saying, yeah. that it seems as though God actually was kind of co-shaping mm. um, with the environment that I was yeah. growing up with, in, yeah. meaning to say that it's not as if God started as this absolute idea from the very start right. of the journey of being in the church. Right. But rather as, as if that idea was picked up. If I was to bring in a word, it's, it was a poesis. It was something like, it was an ongoing and foregoing productive power that was sort of made with the very experiences themselves, right. if that makes sense. Yes, yeah. I think that's what everybody goes through. John, what, what was your personal experience? Oh, uh, if you don't so, mind sharing. <laughs> yeah, so I was... Uh, raised in a christian family Mm. but i am the token atheist here perhaps in my experience i think that uh because initially like we were talking about uh the belief in god being Mm -hmm. assumed right i mean i know we've sort of branched off a little bit to uh well how do people understand god do people take the understanding of god uh for granted I, i think though like with the original uh proposition uh is belief in god assumed i think um, you know, potentially it might have to be because, well, how are you going to ask questions that say prove belief in God? Right. It's probably, you know, if we think of God as some sort of uh, metaphysical entity, right. then there's no real continuity between, say, the physical world and the questions I can literally ask. Right. So, so just let me see if I can clarify what we were saying there. Assuming that God exists, or just the assumption of, of young people, of kids growing up, that God is a part of existence, God is a part of life, has to be the case because there, there isn't a way, and, and this is something we can get into, there might not be a way to prove the metaphysical nature, uh, existence of God. Like, there might not be a way to, to say this is definitive proof of God's existence. So we have to speak about God in a different way in order to talk about God at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think a really good example of this is, I think it's Descartes' uh, ontological argument, um, I think so, where he doesn't say, assume the existence of God and his proving of God, but he does assume qualities of God to be true Mm. in order to draw the conclusion that he did. Right, right. So I, I think in traditional Christianity, for the sake of discussion, let's just assume the Christian God, or at least mm-hmm. the monotheistic God, that uh, I, I think most Christian theologians in the ancient era or even medieval, they never really took it upon themselves to prove God's existence. They've always assumed God because God is not like an object like any other object in the universe. Right. You know, God is either the ground of all being or being itself, right? So we can't prove God like we can prove you know, the, the the earth is round, right? So God is not like the kind of objects that we, we see around us, right? So so what does that mean for our belief in God? Is it um, rational? Is there a factual basis? 
Um, so I guess that's that's my question. Yeah, and I was discussing it in, in my message this morning. We recorded this on a Sunday. Um, you know, certainly Christian theologians and philosophers will spend a lot of time, you know, imagining God as almost like a real physical being uh, because that's the way they speak of, of him. Like, he is this, he is that. Like, you know, that whole like, the notion of God is outside of space and time. As if that has, in my opinion, that doesn't even have any real meaning. Yeah. There's to, a term, to... it's uh, ontotheology, mm. is actually the term. Martin Heidegger uh, really tries to um, kind of attack the uh, idea uh, as a metaphysical claim. For a lack of a better alternative, we're just gesturing to this vacant, transcendent space. Um, that, as you mentioned, is, it's external to us. Why is anyone talking about something like that? Right. Uh, how does that affect me? It's just about knowledge. It's not about... Yes. Yeah. That's a great way to, to put it. When, when, when people are dogmatic, Christians are dogmatic about you have to understand God as being all of these different you know, terms, like he's omnipresent and omnipotent and, and you know, all the different attributes, what would you call them, the ineffable attributes, the attributes that are transcendent like okay go ahead but it's, it's it's exactly what you just said it's just knowledge what does that do in terms of what god is in real in reality in our actual lives that's what i'm more interested in. maybe it's just where i'm at in my own life yeah. but that's where I, what i'm more interested in is what is god when when we're talking about our experience because that's all that we have you know and that goes back to matthew what you, you and i were sort of talking about uh, over lunch a few weeks ago, which is the idea of like, if we look at consciousness, existence, our awareness, our consciousness, our clues to, as to what God could be. I don't want to say that God is some con, you know, cosmic consciousness, but because that sounds kind of new agey, right? And I don't really think it fully captures who God is. But I, I think where most early Christians started contemplating the nature of God, they would start with um, essentially defining God by what he's not. Right. Okay. He's not an object. He's not a created being. He's not an animal. He's not an aspect of the natural world, mm -hmm. like air and fire, right? Um, but something that some philosophers said that God might be more like is is mind, consciousness, right? right? Because if you think about aspects of consciousness, they sound almost divine, right? Consciousness is intentional. Consciousness is simple, like it's, it's indivisible. Um, it's it's unified. When we consider what consciousness is, this is part of our or the theologian's ladder towards defining um, a more of a clear conception of who God is. Right. Right. So we're ascending a ladder here from the or or steps. Right. We're starting with the world around us, and we're ascending towards the divine. Right. And, Wouldn't and, and, that uh, be what uh, people like Thales and Heraclitus were saying, though? Like Thales says that the rational ordering principle of the universe is water. He's not actually saying that it's like, oh, it's the seas. He's saying consciousness is like water in such mm -hmm. a way that it it's an analogy to speak about the mind as a whole. Mm -hmm. Same with Heraclitus would say the eternal living fire kindled in measures, quenched in measures. Uh, it mean to say that consciousness, it, it's, it's kindled in measures, that um, you know, it's always kindling or it's always igniting some spark or some change, and then it's then bleeding into another change, um, which is when that 
it gets ex uh, extinguished or it gets quenched. Um, and it's always in this flux. When you say that's what that is? Yeah, so I think the natural philosophers, they were right. They were on the path towards theology, despite them being called natural philosophers. But what they were doing is taking, they were asking questions about the nature of reality, and they were taking the objects of the world around them, like fire, then asking, you know, what principles govern fire? Well, fire is dynamic and static almost at the same time, right? So there's some of these paradoxical qualities, and they're kind of expanding it to sort of a cosmic explanation for reality or for the nature of reality, right? I guess the Christian's view would be that these examples, they're not reducing existence to a physical sort of property like fire or water, but they are always inadequate, right? So I think the Christian critique of the natural philosophers is that, you know, they might disclose some aspects of who God might be, but a more complete uh, picture would be one that's like mind rather than matter, like consciousness. Right? It's strange so. that in uh, the Old Testament, Genesis, um, if we think about uh, the, the beginning, um, God is kind of hovering or floating in this void or mm -hmm. this abyss. Mm -hmm. um, however, it's, there's still water that's there, to my understanding, as yeah. well. There's yeah. these, like this Water's whole, covering the whole The water isn't divided. It's not divided into heaven and earth that's as right. of yet. Um, which is an interesting thing, but it's as if God is playing with, say, the water, and he's playing with the elements, rather than as if those elements are God himself. Is it fair to sum up what we're talking about here is, is that the struggle that people have with believing in God and with understanding what God is, is because it has something to do with the, the, the practice that everybody has done uh, over the millennia, which is that which we don't know, we attribute to God. Like or or we we like God of the gaps, the God of the gaps God idea, the gaps. right? Like okay, so we uh, ancient man we talk, talked about ancient cosmology, right? They thought that you know God was literally above the waters. There was actually water above us, and then God was above that. That's where heaven was. It's like okay, that's not true. That's not literally true, but that's just the, that's the way they can conce conceived of it and the conception of where God was, so to speak. Now we know about the nature of you know, uh, what's out there in the universe. Yeah. And uh, so now we have to put God outside of space and time because that's the further, furthest, uh, you know, point of our knowledge. We don't know what, what that even means. So that's where we put God. Mm, that's an and, interesting thought. Right? Like, so it's like, to me, again, and it goes back to what Christian theologians uh, throughout the centuries have done, there's the, the, the transcendent attributes of God the God of the gaps, right? Like if you were just being blunt and honest, it's just all the things we don't know. Yeah, that's that's God. But then it's the experiential part, the, the part where uh, he's uh, the nearness of God in us and through us. I'm very much at the point in my own life, again, of being convinced that the, the, the discussion about what God, like the parts of, of God that we don't understand is fruitless. There's no fruit in that. There's, that doesn't actually help us in our lives. But if we talk about what God could be in our lives and in, in our minds and how it's connected to consciousness and all, all morality and all the different things that go along with human experience, then it becomes helpful and it yeah. becomes relevant. That's why James Joyce says that history is a nightmare that he's trying to uh, awake from hmm. uh, because uh, it's, it's exactly what you just highlighted. It, th this is a historical issue in the sense of that it seems as though 
there was beliefs that people had held in where you know these beliefs were in a way self-supporting mm. to some thing that we don't yet understand what that was self-supporting of which right. to me is faith in general i guess but they they had these beliefs that were kind of holding them together but now we've gotten to a point where those beliefs are no longer valid uh right. so we've crossed this threshold right uh and where we now are i'm trying to think of an analogy it's as if we've been stripped of our color like as if we're mm -hmm. now colorblind mm -hmm. um instead of seeing the the most brilliant shades of the john the jaundiceness of yellow and the you know the brightness of red and the now we're just seeing uh kind of the monotony of these colorless things that um and we're now saying you know what was color what what what, what was that that very thing that gave things life so uh, yeah an appeal to, so you're saying that without an appeal to the supernatural it's it's hard for us to to see um, the world as, I don't know, I, I don't want to say an interesting place, like it becomes mundane, it becomes empty. As an effect, it does become mundane and empty, but even before it becomes mundane and empty, it becomes unnatural in a way as well. Like this is the kind of the, the modernized technological age that we that we right. now find ourselves in, where, where it's now we are, to put it bluntly, to now not think that there was, say, the god of Artemis, which right. was this, Artemis was, um, this goddess of the hunt right. and the goddess of um she's also the the light bringer yeah um as well she was uh heraclitus's uh favorite uh god a goddess to now think it's not only as if in this narrative or story-like form right we now are saying oh it's not the case that artemis lives in her abode in the sky or whatever but it, but there's also the power that artemis had as well right. you know so is is that sorry to cut you off but i just want to make sure i'm understanding yeah sure, for sure. all of us to understand which is we have we're we're living in this post-enlightenment era right yeah and, right and so to believe in god the way people used to believe in god is kind of you, you kind of like you once you're exposed to you know sort of rational thought yeah you can't believe in god the way you people used to is that is that sort of where you're coming from, John, in terms of atheism? Just like you're, what you're objecting to is the the sort of taking God literally, or say or taking God in a in a as a, like a real being that you have to believe in. Yeah, kind of like you know, if you wanted to go back in history, I, I guess you know, it's just the case that at this point, I cannot be convinced mm -hmm. that. That is the way things are right. because there are alternatives, right? Um, viable alternatives. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I'm getting at. Again, people used God, the concept of God, I think, to explain that which they didn't know, the things that were beyond us. But now we have good explanations for a lot of these things. So, so we can either put God, we can either just keep moving the goalpost, which is what a lot of Christians do. But to me, as somebody who's not, who appreciates orthodoxy, who appreciates history and tradition, but I, I don't feel beholden to it. So, at this, so, so while I can respect how some Christians describe God and what God is to them, to me, God is a lot more, it's, it's like I've moved beyond, and this sounds so pretentious, but it's like I've moved beyond the way I used to think of God. And I've moved into a new. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound a pretentious, new though, right? Paradigm. It's like, oh yeah. <laughs> well, I I don't think you know we should really see it as a new paradigm. Like mm. I I don't think that I I don't believe 
this God of the Gaps theory is mm-hmm. is true okay. at, at, at all. You know, I don't believe that we really have these answers to these ultimate questions at all. And I don't think the questions are even really meaningful without invoking the divine mm. or God. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any serious answers to the questions of life, the origin of life, the origin of consciousness, and the origin of existence. Well, I think there are serious answers to the origin of life, definitely. Um that you'd have to contend with in the absence of God. Though I think it's harder to paint a picture for like, how do we get something like ethical theories or I guess like, you know, take away the origins Mm -hmm. of ethics. Like, you know, we could figure out, okay, how do these things come about? But why should we behave ethically is a question that you cannot answer, say, from a purely physical perspective. I can I can concede to the possibility, however slight, that the origin of life can be um, explained in purely naturalistic terms. You know, I can I can just imagine that you know if you put certain molecules together and give it enough time, boom, you know, you might get some simple proteins and they can fold on each other and start creating. I can I can concede to that as as a, a naturalistic possibility, even an unlikely one. But I can okay. see to the possibility. But the problem with other questions, which and, and the questionable morality that you're raising is a questionable consciousness. Because morality, what morality is, is is seeing the world how it ought to be, which is what consciousness does. We're, when we're conscious of the world around us, we are occupying the state, the, the space of what is, but we're also prescribing the, what the world ought to be. And, and that is an operation of, of consciousness of mind, right? So I, I don't think, from a purely secular vantage point, I, I don't see any real compelling answer to the question of the origin of, of, of consciousness. And even to, and to ask about the question of the origin of consciousness is, is not a God of the gaps theory, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's because the very tools we have, okay, science, to investigate questions of consciousness eludes the questions themselves. So science is by definition objective, but consciousness and conscious experiences is by definition subjective, right? So you can't answer um, what's the origin of subjectivity, if you want to describe consciousness as that, with objective tools, mm-hmm. right? All what you're going to get is the brain, you know? Right. You're not going to get the mind. Right? But I, I think what many people do, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, John. Sure. So, so I think what a lot of people do, a lot of secular people do, who are atheists, it's not so much, it's kind of what we were saying at the beginning of, for many people growing up as Christians, growing up in a Christian home or, or church, belief in God is, wasn't really investigated or, or questioned, it just works. It was a part of their life and it worked for them and their family situation. Yep. I think secular atheist people now, it's not like they figured out everything because they, they'd be the first to admit they haven't figured out everything or that, or that even all of the theories that, that have been accepted are, are definitive proof. Uh, no, nobody's going to say the Big Bang Theory is definitive. Like, we know that for sure. That's exactly how the, the, the universe began and so on. Uh, I, I think it's more so it's a model that works and allows for science to, to be done based upon it. And so it works for them. You don't need God for that. But I think you, Matthew, are raising something you've brought to my attention recent weeks and in general in this, in this episode which is scientists can tell us a lot about brain activity. Definitely, no, no question about that. But all of us are pretty 
clueless as to where consciousness itself, subjective, the subjective experience itself comes from. Like, where did that originate and what, it's, what is its nature and so on? What exactly do you mean when you say like consciousness is not a, like, a, you know, that God could be consciousness? Yeah. Or, or the, the source of consciousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Well, the source, if you want to call it the source, if, you know, I, I don't have a clear definition of consciousness, uh, nor do I have a clear definition of God. No one does. Yeah. <laughs> it's as if Matt's, I, I think Matt would, it's kind of as if uh, I just got a picture of my head, you know, imagine a black TV that's not turned on, and then you turn that on, and the static kind of comes on, right? In the same way, how is my consciousness turned on at the moment? In other words, okay, how am I. I how am I stably and rationally kind of picking up? How are things being at the moment for me? How how is it that things are being for me? How okay. is it possible? Yeah. So right. uh, viewing just you know, to clarify this, viewing God as a driver of consciousness, and then saying, okay, well, the God of the gaps part is that. Well, is this just sort of um, explaining things away, mm. right? With God using a God of the gaps, okay, a God of the gap critique of. Um, theology or of, of God. You've said it many, a few times tonight and, and in past conversations, because we don't have a secular um, explanation for the origin of consciousness. So what I'm trying yeah. to say is that you can't have a secular um, explanation for the origin of consciousness. Okay. Or at least secular in... Well, uh, but can you have a theological well, explanation? Well, yeah, I, yeah, you can. But. Are you just pot, like? Are you just saying that? Yeah, but, but or, you like, can't, or is the there a way is, to explain it? No, you, you can't think of causality. <laughs> okay, so know, in, in a in a the narrow restricted sense of modern science. Okay, you need a more of expanded exception of what causality mm. is, like an Aristotelian perspective, right? The four causes. God is the the prime mover, but also the final cause, right? Like we need a, to expand our conception of causalities. So okay. we're taking out of the scientific. Realm. Yeah, it's a different so, pre-modern. It's, it's a different of causality. Right. That okay. Is arguably more ex expansive, but but illuminates the world around us in a far better way than the, a, a limited understanding of what causality is. Right. Um, okay. um, do you mind just clarifying? Uh, I'm sorry if you already said this. Exactly what the difference is between the cause and effect of um, the way that we would view this in a mechanistic way. Versus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, like, and I, I would think that more modern science would restrict causality to, and, and in a certain sense, this is inappropriate to say, but I, I'm going to say it to a material cause and an efficient cause, right? So they completely neglect any sense of uh, final cause or a sort of a prime mover, okay, right? uh, or an essential cause. In, in other words, I think modern science they really just they try to break down the world into its component parts and, and see how they relate to each other, right? Which is, I, I think, is really restricted because then it leaves off the question of how these component parts ought to relate to each other. So the whole question of how the world ought to be is completely eliminated from the, the naturalistic worldview. Mm -hmm. And I think what's also eliminated is any when you break down things of the world to its component parts, there's no real essence that transcends time, right? So me as human being, there is no Matthew essence of, of me across time. All there is is the atoms that, that come together and they break apart. There's no enduring sense of the essence of who I am, right? Apart from a Christian worldview? 
or a spiritual world worldview. Well, yeah, no. If you're in a purely secular secularist, right. how, how is it that there's a you beside in a secular worldview? Yeah, exactly. If like you're just a bunch of atoms. There wouldn't together. be a me. Like there's this. Yeah. You know, it doesn't even make sense to talk about a me. Right. There's no unity of the self. Or or yeah. or, or even when we talk about people after death or when they're not around, we're we're still speaking of them as if they're a thing, even yeah. though they're not here. Which is yeah, which is interesting because. If you're secular, and I'm not going to say if you're atheist, because there's obviously there's religious atheists, but if you're purely secular in the sense that you're not following any kind of religion, you know, it doesn't make sense for there to be funerals or any ritual, right? Because, well, there wasn't a person there to begin with. Well, it almost seems like a bit of a straw man of a secularist position. Because um, it's not like the, like, you are obviously a person, mm -hmm. perhaps, um, you know, if I decide, okay, well, let's view this from a naturalistic sense. You are a bunch of atoms uh, coalescing together, but you still share the same basic characteristics as I do, such as emotions, for yeah. example. You have a place in your community with your family. You might contribute to things like, you know, what we're doing here. And anyways, you know, so the idea that I am going to view you solely through that lens of like you are a collection of atoms and not a person and therefore not have a funeral for you because I, oh what am i i think your what your point is matthew it's correct me if i'm wrong is like you're sort of making the point by saying that it's like that very essence of who you are the fact that you can re we can each recognize that we have there's something to each of us and because we all have that same shared experience what you're saying, Matthew, is that is what God is, or at least part of what God is. Like, he's the one who's making that possible. Well, yeah, like, I, I think belief in God is the condition for the possibility of really believing in things like essences right. of people or of things. Um, Otherwise, we're just... Okay, like, you would mean as distinct from, say, like, a philosophical ent uh, essence, like the way that uh, Descartes would describe well, things. Uh, I, I don't know how, how Descartes would describe things, you know. My, he, he is a Christian, and he would define... Like, um, basically, like, f uh, essence being, like, fundamental attributes yeah. of a thing. Um, well, I, yeah, that's, I know, like, that's kind of what like, we're talking about, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, the essence is, so yeah, I know... Um, the, the challenge is that the defining what an essence really is is really going down to the word uh, essence comes hole. from essentia, which meant uh, in Latin uh, what being or what something is. Right. Um, that then gets appropriated to the Greek ousia, which means occurrent and staying occurrent. So it's what stays occurrent. At least how Hegel sees it, mm -hmm. he thinks that the Greeks only thought in terms of presence right. uh, as something that is a current right which if I connect that to I think the point Matthew's making is what else other than the concept of God is something that is continually occurring yeah so that will then everything well, else dies everything else ceases to exist in a way well then um, interestingly Goethe appropriates the um, there's a term in German it's Waden mm. which is essence mm. but it actually is can be translated to that which is guaranteed mm. or that which 
indeed is it is that which is guaranteed he's using it in a very special sense though he's using it in how kind of matthew is uh, describing it that which persists or that which endures mm. again uh, it's it's if i may I'm, it's kind of what i was talking about today in my message mm. the image of god in us is what makes us different than all other animals I accept that we, in a certain definition, are animals, but there's something different about us too. Um, A purely secular materialist perspective would say, okay, we've just evolved in a certain, in a different way or a more advanced way to get us here. But let's try to think above and beyond that a little more. Like there's, there might be more to life than just what is, you know what I mean? Like there, there, there might be more to life than looking at things in a mechanical way. You have to look things as what you've been talking about a lot, Chris, which is the experience of things, the nearness of things. Well, this is what I'm trying know? to under, understand. I was going to make the comment that it seems as though there seems to be these thought styles mm. that are governing materialists um, mm. and rationalists and then like mystics yeah. who seem to have, to me, it's a disconnection. It's a very strong almost a false word it's a a disconnection to what what is so that in a way they get so far away from what is that they begin to find a disanchoring to what you were describing with Mm. the essence of of something yeah the way christians have traditionally engaged with god is that you know i don't want to say god was just assumes god is how they interpret the world you know Mm -hmm. like it wouldn't make sense for them to, to ask the question, yeah. how, how do you know God yeah. exists? God, they never you know, would, they, they, would in, they would yeah. interpret the yeah. world as creation. Right. And it falls naturally that creation is here, so there must be a creator. Right. Right. There's a moral law. We all believe in morality. So there's a, a moral law giver. Right. Right. Like that's how they thought. And I think that's generally how Christians would, should think. And, but right. it, it's a matter of interpretation. And I think that this way of interpreting the world around us as creation mm. is illuminates our world right and right it because it becomes meaning. it becomes meaningful mm-hmm. purposeful yeah right so there is no sharp distinction between is and ought mm. and it's 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 commonsensical because it speaks to our experience so yeah it does so speak, it illuminates our experience yeah. right because every day you wake up as if the world was disclosing reality to you Right. I don't necessarily think that we would call like morality and uh, consciousness and illusion. These things have to be reinterpreted in a secular perspective, so they're not how we traditionally thought of them. How do we obtain a deep sense of meaning in a secularist uh, worldview? You know, a lot of atheists say, oh, well, I just go about my day to day. It doesn't really affect me. But you know, are these people really grappling with those things on a deep level? As usual, with all of these discussions, we're not going to fully answer all these questions. Yeah. But this is the logos in action. This is us speaking and discussing things so that we can get further along in our understanding. And 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 quite frankly, that is to me one of the essences of what God is. Is is when people come together and talk and and try to figure things out. Well, that's all the time that we have for in this episode. Thanks so much for listening. My name again is Dan Calcano, and I encourage you to continue to engage the Logos. 
Let's continue the discussion on social media. You can find me on Twitter, at Dan Calcano. I'm on Facebook. We're also going to be launching social media for Variologies. Please subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform that you're listening to this on. And visit MessianicNagra.com for more about me and the Bible teaching that I offer. But thanks again for listening. Hope you'll listen to us next time. Take care. Thank you.